0: I love that expression in that song, his perfect love could not be overcome. Something to reflect upon this week. Good morning. Did you have fun yesterday? It was the longest day of the year. So you should have gotten a lot of extra good stuff somehow. So now it's all downhill from here. (laughs) Well, this morning we're in uh, Judges chapter 16. I sometimes think about the fact that for me, uh, everything leads up to this this moment when um, I talk to you out of God's Word. It is the driving thing in my heart all week, and... Uh, It's kind of a desperate sort of experience because even though you have given it your very, very best, by the time you get here, um, you just feel so much the power of what God has put on your heart, what what His Word is uh, revealing, that you feel incompetent to do it justice, um, this morning, I'm, I'm going to ask you, I always pray for it, but I, and I appreciated Eric and in the service before Stephen, praying that God would speak to our hearts, open our hearts. And um, I would just like to take a moment and for us to pray that uh, there would be no hindrances, that God would would bind whatever would interfere or distract, because this is all about the heart this morning. I mean, that's the heart of the message. It's about the heart. So let's pray. Father, we do seek your face, your countenance, that you would touch us, speak sweetly, convincingly, in ways that address things that you have for us, and things that we need, that we might be drawn to you, that there would be no fear, that there would be no lack of trust, um, no trust issues as uh, as we really seek and hear from you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Chapter 16 in Judges is 31 verses, but I'm going to read from verse 4 to verse 20. I hope you've had a chance to to read in Judges 16 before now, maybe more than once, uh, so that you'll be able to supply perhaps uh, some of the backstory to what I will be touching on in all of the chapter. So let me read it to us, uh, beginning at verse 4. After this he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah and the lord the lords of the philistines came up to her and said to her seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may over uh, overpower him that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Each, back in chapter 3, verse 3, it's the five lords of the Philistines. These are the rulers of the whole Philistine nation. And in chapter 3 of Judges, it it outlines the nations within the land of promise, the land that God has led his people into. And it specifically mentions the five lords of the Philistines. And so five times 1,100 pounds of silver, lots lots of money. And obviously Samson is a national concern when they all come up. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies, and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, I can just, you know, he's got that little twinkle in his eye, that little wink in his countenance. Seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, and then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you've mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes. Yes, that's it, new ropes. I'm sorry, I I just inserted that. If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head, which makes me wonder if you didn't have dreadlocks, (laughs) with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak. And be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, How can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you've not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words, day after day, and urged him, his soul was vexed to death, And then we come to verse 17, and he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man when delilah saw that he had told her when he saw that he had told her all his heart she sent and called the lords of the philistines saying come again for he has told me all his heart then the lords of the philistines came up to her and brought the money in his hand in their hands she made him sleep on her knees. And she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord had left him. It is well, writes Dante, that endless be his grief, who for love of things that do not last casts off a love that never dies. That made me think of what we sang just a moment ago. His perfect love could not be overcome. Dante, in his Paradiso, could be writing about Samson. He could be writing about any of us. In today's episode, Samson, ever the strong man, gives up God for the love of Delilah. Samson gives his heart to Delilah in trade for the heart that belongs to God. In some ways, the way we use the word heart, we're shaped, especially if we're kind of reared on the the use of heart in the Bible, heart is very prominent. It's the most distinctive word that's used to denote uh, the human person in their essential being, who that person is. The heart is the essential person. And God is in a battle for the heart. He's in a battle for you. In a way, that's the grand theme or overarching story of the Bible. I want to talk about the meaning of the heart a little bit, but Jesus uses the word heart like the Old Testament does. And so does Paul. So I'm just going to give you a few expressions that are quite familiar to us. I decided to just pull a few. These are almost at random. Uh, I just started reading in Matthew. You can do this with a concordance. A concordance is a book that lists in alphabetical order words from the Bible. So when you get to, in the alphabet, the letter H... There you'll find heart, and it will list all the references of heart in the Bible. If it's a good concordance, Sometimes we find a shorter version in the back of our of our Bibles that we get at the Bible bookstore. But a concordance is much larger. And so if you were to take a concordance, and it would list them in order as they appeared in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and so forth. So for Matthew... This is the words of Jesus. The pure in heart shall see God. Committed adultery with her in his heart. Take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Out of the abundance of the heart, the lips, the mouth speaks. They honored me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Forgive your brother from your heart because of your hardness of heart. And when we go to the letters of Paul, just a a few, there were so many. With the heart, one believes and is justified. With the mouth, one confesses and is saved. You might have noticed a connection, by the way, between the heart and what comes out of the mouth, the expressions of a life in whatever form, in words or other, come from the heart. Here's another from Paul's letter. Boast of outward appearance and not what's in the heart. As though the appearance and the heart don't always match. God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's where we are to really be found. The heart is the essential you. God alone is worthy of your heart. Indeed, we can say this because he is our creator as well as our savior. Indeed, give your heart only to the one who gave you yours. And one of the great, I just want to take a moment, put this in perspective, It seems kind of contrary, kind of counterintuitive, that if we should give all our heart, which is a growing thing, the depth of devotion, that if we give God our hearts, we might think that we will withdraw from others. Give less to others. Become stingier. More exclusive. Maybe more hard-nosed. Only God gets this part of me. But the interesting thing is the more we give to God, the more we are enabled to give to others. The love that our spouse requires, that neighbor requires, that anybody in our lives requires. The more we give ourselves to him, we're able then, out of that fullness, to give to others. I think the priority of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, that order, that sequence, is vital. It's the order of power. It's not only the order of priority. Give your heart only to the one who gave you yours. This chapter, there are some things here that are so important to understand. You'll never read this chapter again the same way. And it begins in verse 4 with the words, Samson loved a woman. Samson loved a woman. Now, you might have thought that, but it's never been told. We didn't know. We're not told. But now we are, and that's important information. The fact that Samson has never been said to have loved anyone, and we might conclude that his conduct and behavior kind of supports that fact, that silence that Samson loved not. But now we're told in verse 4, Samson loved a woman. From the valley of Sorek, not far from his own village and upbringing. I mention this because we need to ask the question, what's love got to do with it? And from there, I want to ask the question, who do you love? Or, who do you love? And, love the one you're with. But back to what's love got to do with it? Never before have we been told, has the author of Judges, has, you might say, God's Word revealed to us that Samson has loved. But now he has loved a woman. And what does love have to do with it? Delilah answers our question in verse 15. Look at verse 15. How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? Here's the most profound thing we should first understand is that Samson has told Delilah, I love you. With his first wife back in chapter 14 she says you only hate me you do not love me but she doesn't say how can you say you love me in fact she quotes him how can you say i love you and this also presupposes that this relationship has has some history at this point i mean this is pretty incredible Samson has spoken the words to Delilah, I love you. But now after these testings, if you will, She says, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? Here is a connection between heart and love that I I think it's vital that we understand. And when she says your heart is not with me, she's saying you're not being real with me. You're not being vulnerable with me. You're not trusting me. You're not coming clean with me. You're holding back. You're not showing me who you really are. There's more to you than you're letting me know. Your heart is not with me. And as I've said before, right words, wrong woman. With this firmly in mind, that is verse 15... Here are two signposts that I want us to understand about the connection between love and heart. The first signpost is to understand love and heart according to the central confession of the people of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Moses has led the people out of Egypt. God had heard their cries and raised Moses up. And you know the trials and the tribulations of getting to the point that they are in the book of Deuteronomy, in the historical setting of Deuteronomy. They're on the cusp of entering the Holy Land. And it is there that they become a a covenant people in a most powerful way. And Moses gives them the central confession. This is what binds them together at the heart. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is your God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. And then in verses 6 through 13, it goes on to talk about how manifest this is to be in the practical lives of his people. Now, I mention this because when we get to the word Lord, The word Lord is in capitals, usually smaller case caps within your English translation. That's because Lord is deferential and reverential. It substitutes the word Lord for the personal name of God. You can call me pastor, but I love it when you call me John. That's my personal name. You can call God Elohim. You can call him God Almighty, El El Shaddai. But his name in which he reveals himself to Moses, the name by which he is to come to the people that he's delivering out of the Exodus is Yahweh. And when we hear this, it is Yahweh, Is your God, Yahweh alone? Love Yahweh with all your heart. Jesus' name, we sang hallelujah. Did you did you notice that? Hallelujah. It's often spelled a little different. When you see the letters H A L L E L U, Hallelujah. That is a Hebrew word. It means praise ye. Not praise you, but ye praise. It's a command. Praise ye Yah. There J A H. That's fine. German has J's as a Y sound. It's it's Yah. Praise Yah. That's short for Yahweh. Every time you sing Hallelujah, you are you are pronouncing praise Yahweh. Jesus' name is Yahweh Saves. Jesus reveals to us Yahweh, the consummation of his redemptive story, the expected king, the expected Messiah, the anointed one is Jesus. He reveals God's purpose, God's plan. And so, when we call Jesus, who died for each one of us, was buried, raised from the dead, resurrected, ascended to the Father, poured out His Spirit, we live in phenomenal times. And indeed, we can save Yahweh is our God. Yahweh alone. Because Jesus came to reveal the Father, to do the Father's will, to accomplish the Father's purposes. He is our Lord. A second, and one more thought about the word heart. Heart stands for feelings, desires, thinking, and decisions. That's the way it's used in the Old Testament. Everything that goes on in your head is associated with the heart in the Old Testament. And if you were to now listen to the things that I shared, even reading the New Testament, you would hear the same principles implied. In other words, We are the total person engaged when it's talking about the heart. Here's a second signpost to understand the love-heart connection. Let's go back in our thinking to verse 15. But this time, instead of hearing Delilah, let's hear Jesus. How can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me? You see, love takes on a whole more, you know, it's much more powerful now. You can say, I love you, but Jesus says, just like Delilah to Samson, how can you say, I love you when your heart is not with me? When you're not fully engaged, when you're holding back, when there's a whole other part of your life that you will not trust to me, that you will not give to me. You don't know the meaning of love, is what Delilah is saying to Samson. And we need to understand that to understand the gravity. You know, and when music plays, when you're making a very very strong point, that underscores everything I'm saying. To understand the gravity of what's happening here in chapter 16. Hey, by the way, I got a a consumer tip. Download a ringtone of a man yelling, Amen. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? You wouldn't have to silence your phones. And then when your phones go off, I would just be energized, you know, like, amen. 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 Who do you love that... I'm sorry, would you put that slide back up? I meant to go to the second point. Who do you love? We see that really in verses 15 through 20 where it's given emphasis because here is where Samson gives up his heart out of misplaced love. And at this point, I've tried to help you see how much is involved in opening your heart, giving out your heart as Samson does. This didn't happen all at once. There's been a progression of time. We mentioned at the end of chapter 15, just before we began chapter 16, the very close of that chapter, unusually, it had never been done like that with any of the other judges. Usually when it's mentioned his judging and the length of his years, that was at the judge's death, at the close, the passing of that judge. But now Samson's still alive and we're told that he's judged for 20 years. That gives us a, a time marker. And it helps us to realize that between the opening events of his marriage to his first wife, quite a bit has taken place because I think we're in the 20th year, if you will, of Samson's life. There are other indications that time has passed that things have been happening. For example, Samson has become nationally notorious It's not just in one little part of the Philistine area. The five lords of the Philistines, Judges chapter 3, verse 3. And that they should come and do business with a woman like Delilah. They've obviously seen this relationship. They've heard of this relationship. And the vast sums of money. In fact, the opening three verses, which we didn't look at, an event that took place in Gaza, 30 miles from where Samson grew up. That's on the coast. It's on the edge of the Philistine territory. And there, they're on the hunt for him. And then he runs all the way to Hebron, another 40 miles away. In other words, we're getting a sense that things are closing in on Samson. He's hunted, and the notoriety of his reputation is widespread, demanding a huge ransom. And then one more note of development. Remember his first wife? When we read about Delilah and Samson, did you hear echoes? I mean, even the same word. Here it was seduce in the English Standard Version. You could put in the word dupe or trick. It's the same expression that was used when they sought Samson's betrothed wife to trick Samson. And how he's vexed to death. Day after day, Delilah presses and presses just as his first wife. And we're thinking to ourselves, hey, Samson, there's a real pattern here. There's a pattern that we're supposed to see. But we're also supposed to see not only has Samson not grown, not gotten wiser. I mean, what you think, how naive do you have to be, Samson? Or how utterly arrogant and confident in your strength that you can play so So loosely with things so important that you can dangle them, or think that somehow you're impervious to their touch, that you can dangle things so important in front of those who would destroy you. I think he's naive and he's arrogant, and his confidence is misplaced. Hear me well because you're going to see some things I I don't think you've seen before because I hadn't seen it this clearly before. The Bible's telling us there is a pattern, but the Bible's also telling us there's something new. And what is that something new? It's that Samson loves Delilah. And his whole heart is involved. Love, if it means anything, involves the heart. And you'll see that very, very clearly in what comes next, because Delilah wants to snare Samson. And the... As Percy Sledge said, when a man loves a woman... He can't keep his mind on nothing else. He'll trade the world for the good thing he's found. If she's bad, he can't see it. She can do no wrong. It doesn't need to be a woman. I'm not picking on the ladies here. Whatever it is that we're vulnerable to, When that which we think we need so badly, that that is going to satisfy the deep need of our heart, we don't see the dangers. We don't see the risks. We don't see the trades. We don't see the costs or the consequences. And Samson didn't either. And how is it that he's gotten to this point? Well, I want to show you something. And it comes in verse 17. Because it's there that we read these very important words. Samson told her all his heart. This is the most tragic verse. I don't think I would have seen it as so tragic, but now, and I want you to share understanding of why this is so tragic, so sad. He, in these words, in verse 17, we are actually seeing Samson trade God for Delilah. And let me prove that, if you will, because you might ask, how do we know that? I wanted to show you something. This is the very first time, the first time Samson Samson, Samson himself mentions his Nazarite vocation. We were introduced to it in chapter 13. Before Samson was even born, his mother is approached by the angel of the Lord. His message is this, you, you who cannot bear a child, you shall bear a son. Your son will be a Nazarite. There will never be a razor touch his hair, touch his head. He shall not touch anything unclean. He shall not eat of the fruit of the vine. Those are, if you will, the classification. That's the classification or the criteria of a Nazarite. It is an expression, an An external expression of an internal vocation. Now what's remarkable about this is that Samson has never to this point. I mean, that's that's before he's even born. That's in utero, which is Latin for in the womb. From his birth on, we never hear anything about his Nazarite vocation. We don't hear about his purpose, his his dedication, his devotion to God, and we don't see it either, not at all. In fact, I wondered if his mother had even told him that he was a Nazarite, which seemed totally preposterous to me, but I thought we should see some evidence of that. Like when we dedicate little ones, I say, you know, don't fail to tell your children who probably won't remember this day in which we gathered to dedicate your child unto the Lord. Don't fail to tell your child and tell them often that you have dedicated them to God. My mother told me several times and each time it was profound, your father and I, at a time you can't remember, dedicated you to God. You belong to him. And I wondered if Samson even knew. But now we do. Verse 17 is a deep confession. I'm a Nazarite, he says. I belong to God. That's what he's saying. I'm a Nazarite dedicated unto God. No razor has ever touched my head. And you know what's being linked here? Here's the second first. In the same verse, two great firsts. We never have known the source of his power. That is, Judges has never told us the source of his power. We presume it's of the Lord, but it's never mentioned. Samson never mentions it. Even when we go back to the visitation of the angel, it says a razor is not to touch his head. He's not to touch anything unclean. He's not to eat of the fruit of the vine. But he broke those other two parts. There's nothing in the passage that connects his hair with his strength. All movies do, everybody else does. But it's not here, not until here in verse 17, that Samson himself connects his hair to his strength. This is a confession that draws us in. Why was information, so to speak, that we would have wanted to hear not told? Well, maybe because it couldn't. But also because I think the writer of Judges wants us to be there in this moment of stunning revelation. He's divulging things that we didn't know, even with a reading of the passage. And his conduct causes us, as I said, to wonder even whether he knew any of this. And now it's all coming out. He did know. He knew it all along. He knew he was dedicated unto the Lord. He knew all of it. And now he's telling it to whom? He's telling it to you. He's telling it to me. He's telling it to Delilah. And his inner life, his inner heart comes rushing at us in confession to a woman who cares nothing for him. Who's craving him to be like-hearted. And here is the great secret. Here is the great secret. You see, verse 5, see where is his great strength. If we just kind of read the Hebrew quite literally, see where is his great strength, or we could render it this way, wherein His strength is great. And that raises a very important question. Where is the greatness of his strength? Samson tells us, he tells us in his own words. Because the whole reason he's telling it is to answer Delilah's question. The question of the five lords of the Philistines. Wherein your strength is great? And Samson says, it's my hair. And that raises the question for you and me. Wherein is your strength great? Is it your appearance? Is it your bank account? Is it all the things that you've committed your life to? Is it all the things that sum up your life? If your story was a Samson story, how would it read? What would your confession be? And would it shock the reader? Delilah's been in a kind of a cry wolf quandary because Samson's been toying with her, right? I mean, he's called upon, she's called upon the Philistines on several occasions. Why should this be any different? Notice what she says in verse 18. He told me all his heart. She mentions it twice. But the first time we read, she saw. Countenance combined with heart. And the mention of God. This is the extraordinary thing that I think she intuitively knows I've gotten to the heart of it. And he wakes up in verse 20, and basically she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And basically he says, I will do as I did before. Why? Because he's counting on his strength. Now, his hair has been shaved. But notably, it says, he did not know that God had left him. That's where I get the he traded his heart for the love of Delilah. The sign, the symbol... Was that he basically gave up. He gave up his vocation, his purpose, his dedication to God. He thought that he was safe with her because he thought he knew who he was with. But note this in verse 22. The hair on his head began to grow back. Is it his hair? Is it his hair? Is it his hair? It's it's starting to grow back. How long should it be? Before, you know, as it grows, does his power grow? Nonsense. That's there, not to raise suspense about where his power comes from, but to be a foil, to show the true source of his power. Verse 28, Samson called to whom? Not just Elohim, not just the word for God. Samson cried out, Yahweh, oh Yahweh, God, please remember me. Please strengthen me only this once. He knows God has left, and he's calling upon him to strengthen him because he knows the strength now isn't in his hair. The strength is in Yahweh, and he's calling on the covenant God. He knew all along about his vocation, his purpose, that God had him to do great things for him. His promise, the promise we saw unveiled by the angel of God to his mother, you thought maybe he didn't know about that. He knew it, and he traded it away. And why? because he thought his power was in his hair. At what point do we say, Enough is enough. I just fear sometimes that we are constantly, very subtly being slowly, so imperceptibly, you know, like the frog who's in the cold water and you turn on the heat, and he eventually boils because he just doesn't feel the change in temperature. You throw a frog into a boiling pan, and I'm told, because I wouldn't do that, but I'm told they jump right out. And what is involved in that? It's just slowly giving your heart away to things around us. C.S. Lewis said when a man, and he writes man because this was back in the 40s and back then they were using man for man or woman. When a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still left in him. When a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. I, I, as I grow in Christ, yeah, I talk about my sin, not in detail. I mean, come on, it would be too embarrassing. But we are all sinners, and we never will escape the practical nature of our human frailty, porousness, weakness. But. Jesus has made provision through his death on the cross. Death has no hold on us anymore unless we give it. And the more we confess our sin and show it for what it is and turn and recognize and live in the light of our true identity in Jesus Christ and let him occupy our heart, Possess our heart, fill our heart, flood our heart, be the love of our heart, then his identity will glow and express itself in our actions and our decisions. What kind of leader? does God want? Well, in the book of Judges, every judge has a weakness, but as time progresses, the weaknesses get worse and worse and worse until we get to Samson. But throughout, what kind of leader are we looking for? Well, with Samson, we're looking for someone who has a great heart, obviously, because that is his great weakness. And in Samuel, Chapter 16, verse 7, God said to Samuel, Don't look on his appearance or the height of his stature. I look not as a man looks. Man looks on outward appearance. I look on the heart. And who is the man after God's heart? It's David. And what does it mean to be a man after God's heart? It says, A man after my heart who will do all my will. Do you love me? Is your heart with me? I don't think we should think of doing his will as a a drudgery unless we're being seduced by the world and we don't trust him with our deepest needs and our greatest desires and our thoughts. Will you stand with me? If God has spoken you to you this morning about this matter of the heart, giving our heart unto the Lord is a manner of speaking, but it, it, it goes to a point of discipleship and devotion and to say, I identify completely with Jesus Christ. He's my Savior, my Lord, my future. If this morning that's the desire of your heart and you'd like to know more about that or you've prayed to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and you'd like to share that in prayer with me or one of the pastoral staff, one of our elders or their wives, we invite you to come after I say amen. We'll be up here for prayer with you on any matter, any concern, anything that Lord the Lord has put on your heart. Heavenly Father, we do desire to uh, have you occupy and be the Lord of our lives and our hearts. And we we pray, Father, that you would just continue to draw us toward you, that we might trust you more and more, um, that we might tell you all of our heart, knowing that you are the one who gave us ours. Teach us to give our heart only to you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. God bless you.